I know what you're thinking. Scott, this is a Big 12 football podcast. Why do you have the star of Worst Cooks in America, Celebrity Edition 3, Sean Lowe, on your podcast? Well, we'll get into that. Also, Sean Lowe is famous for other things like Marriage Boot Camp, Reality Stars 4, Celebrity Family Feud, Dancing with the Stars, and, of course, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. But why is he on the Big 12 Bullets podcast? Guess you're going to have to listen to find out, because this is the Bed Goods Big 12 Bullets Game of the Week. Yes, Sean Lowe, star of The Bachelorette Season 8. I guess he's not the star if he was on The Bachelorette, but he was the actual star. He was The Bachelor Season 17. You may already be able to tell I'm completely, utterly out of my depth talking about The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. I have never seen an episode. Sean Lowe is on the podcast because he was on the 2003 Kansas State team that pulled off one of the biggest upsets in college football history. And you might think that's kind of a ridiculous statement, and maybe it is, because Kansas State was really good and they were ranked number 15. But that just shows how good this Oklahoma team was, and we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the game, and then we're going to get actually fairly quickly into the interview with Sean because he was actually really good. Sean seems like a great guy, and I had heard good things about him, and that's why I reached out to him to see if he would join me on the podcast, despite the fact that I know absolutely nothing about the things that have made him famous. But before we do any of that, Sean seems like a stylish guy, just like me. So let's talk about RevTown Jeans. RevTown Jeans. They are the most comfortable jeans in the world. They're very stylish. They have that little bit of a stretch to them, so they feel like athletic wear, but they have the style of jeans. They are great. Revtown jeans, revtownusa.com. Before we talk to Sean Lowe and before we talk a little bit more about Sean Lowe, let's talk about the 2003 Big 12 Championship game. This is the only game on our list that is a championship game, and the reason for that is because this is one of the, like I said, if not the biggest upsets in college football history. And I don't mean just in the sense that the team that wasn't supposed to win won. The way the team that wasn't supposed to win won over the team that that lost was incredible. It was dominating. It was the most unexpected thing that could happen. And why do I say that? Because the 2003 Oklahoma Sooners team wasn't being talked about as the number one team in the country. They were being talked about as maybe the greatest college football team of all time. They were 12-0. and 0. Uh, They were first in points scored per game and points allowed per game. So you think about Oklahoma with great offenses. That's a typical thing you think about when you, when you uh, think of the Oklahoma Sooners. This was great offense and the best defense. They were destroying people. Starting with a 37-3 win over North Texas, they then beat Alabama 20-13. This was when Alabama was uh, down uh, during some of those scandals in the early 2000s. So that was a close game. But then they go 52-28, 59-24, 53-7, 65-13 over number 11 Texas in the Red River shootout. Yes, you heard that right. 65-13 over number 11 Texas. 34-13, 34-20. 
52 to 9 over number 14 Oklahoma State and then we get to the famous 77 to nothing win over Texas A&M. That was a game that Oklahoma stopped trying to score in the third quarter. In fact, at one point they took a knee instead of scoring a touchdown. It was one of if not the most dominating performances in all of college football when it comes to conference rivals and teams that should be on kind of the same level um to win a game 77 to nothing you are firing on all cylinders but oklahoma took a lot of criticism for that game there was a lot of accusations of running up the score which is something that bob stoops really doesn't like and the fact that they had to they had to stop trying to score Many say that that caused this Oklahoma team to kind of take their foot off the gas for the rest of the year. I don't know if that's true because they beat Baylor 41 to 3 the next game. They beat Texas Tech 56 to 25. Then they go into playing Kansas State, who was number 12. And let's learn a little bit about Kansas State. They were 10 and 3. They were on a roll at the same time. This Kansas State team, in the fifth week of the season, when they were number six in the country, lost to Marshall. Now, these days, Marshall is not even an FBS team. At the time, they were in Division 1A. So this wasn't like losing to an FCS team, uh, but it was still bad. And especially as the number six team in the country to lose to Marshall, that was a really, really bad loss. Then the next week, they lost to number 13, Texas. Then they lost to Oklahoma State. So they got all three losses out of the way in a row. Then they won out for the rest of the year. So they were playing good football, but this was a team that lost to Marshall. So you're talking about the greatest college football team of all time. That's what that's the way they were being talked about. I'm not exaggerating. Uh, if you go back and watch the game, the way that the announcers were talking about Oklahoma, it was they were in awe of them. And Kansas State, a good team, but a team, again, not great. They'd lost to Marshall. They had lost three games in a row. Oklahoma didn't look like they were ever going to lose a game again. And they come into this game, and like I said, the announcers were in awe of them. Bill Snyder and the Kansas State defense, they were not in awe of Oklahoma. They came ready to play. Oklahoma scored on their first drive, though, uh, and they would not score again. I'll get into there was a big interception thrown by Jason White, and that's my key play breakdown this week. And you can kind of see where the wheels fall off for Oklahoma in that play because Oklahoma was about to tie it up at 14 all. And, and probably after that, things would have looked a lot better for them, but an interception in the end zone, turn the game around Kansas state just dominates Oklahoma 35 to seven. I mean, think about this. Like I said, Oklahoma was averaging 48 points a game. They scored seven. They were only giving up 13 points a game. They gave up 35. And remember, Kansas State isn't known for having just amazing offenses. Their quarterback was L. Roberson, who played really well. But the name that you'll know from this team is Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles, of course, went on to have a long NFL career. He played for the Chargers, the Saints, and the Eagles starting in 2005, and his career ended in 2019. He is he was a three-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro, very, 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 very good running back, NFL 2010's All-Decade team, and if you remember, a very small guy, but very tough, kind of a like a spitfire or a, uh, you know, whatever you want to call those, those little guys that can get the ball and they can find those spaces, but also a really tough runner, and you see that in this game, really hard to stop for an Oklahoma team that featured guys like Tommy Harris, one of the best uh 
college defenders of all time, a really, really great player. Like I said, Oklahoma was quarterbacked by Jason White. He won the Heisman in 2003. So you have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. You have a defense that has Teddy Lehman and Antonio Perkins and Tommy Harris. This was a great team. And they they got dominated by a good but not just amazing Kansas State team. But it may have been the best Kansas State team that there ever has been. So, so we're going to get into the Sean Lowe interview now. Like I said, it, it was a, a, one of a... A longer conversation. Sean was really cool. I I thanked him for coming on the podcast and he said, hey, I'm just excited to talk about something that's not The Bachelor. It was great. I think he really enjoyed that. I've heard him on the ticket here in Dallas before and I was like, oh, this guy seems like kind of a cool guy, which shatters all my imagery of anyone who's ever been on that show. And so I was looking for who to interview from Kansas State, this 2003 Kansas State team, Darren Sproles. You know, that would have been cool. Uh, L. Roberson, you know, some of these guys, that would have been cool. But, you know, but I saw this name, Sean Lowe, and it said he's from Arlington. And I was like, I wonder if that's the same Sean Lowe that I've heard as was on The Bachelor and that I heard on The Ticket and I've heard people talk about. So I looked it up and, and it was. And I was like, you know what? That would actually be a really a nice curveball to throw at the listeners who uh, late in this in this series have been seeing names of, of football players that they recognize and things like that. And then to uh, just toss a little curveball in there of a reality TV star who is actually a really cool guy, lives in the Dallas area, and has a normal job. So here is that reality star, Sean Lowe. And I'm excited to welcome in season 17 Bachelor, but much more importantly, former Kansas State football player, Sean Lowe. Sean, what's up? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I uh, you know I, I was looking through the roster of this this 2003 team and and there were some some great players, some big names, uh, Darren Sproles, uh, L. Roberson, but then I saw Sean Lowe and I thought I think we need to talk to this guy. Yeah, I had way more of an impact on that team than Sproles or Roberson. <laughs> <laughs> so for people who don't know, um, people who maybe know you from from The Bachelor, what is your football story? I mean, where did you play in high school? How did you end up at Kansas State? Yeah, my, my football story is I was raised in Irving, and I went to Irving High where uh, I started out as a linebacker my sophomore year, and then my coach at the time – moved me to defensive end and I, I had had my sights set on playing college football. And I just thought there's no way I'm going to get a D one scholarship playing deep, uh, playing defensive end. I just didn't have the, uh, I didn't have the weight. I didn't have the size. My, I don't think my body is suited for defensive end. Uh, long story short, I found myself at Lamar high school, my, for my senior season where I went back to linebacker and, uh, got recruited and eventually committed to Kansas state. Okay, yeah. So, how um, weird, weird question, but how big are you? I mean, what's how, what size were you in in high school and in college? I was probably the same height I am now, six three, and I think my senior year of high school. You know, in those days it was so hard to put on weight because your metabolism is just running like crazy. I I was probably about two hundred and ten pounds, maybe. Okay. Um, with an idea of trying to get to two thirty, two forty, somewhere in that neighborhood. Okay. Okay. So how? Uh, why Kansas State, and, and what was that like playing for Coach Snyder? Yeah, so I took my senior year of high school, I, I took three visits. I went to Arkansas, Oklahoma State, and Kansas State. And 
Uh, Kansas State had just come off one of their worst seasons they'd had in a long time. But before that, the, the late 90s um, and I think the year 2000, they were just a juggernaut as far as defense goes. I think they were in the top five nationally in, in total defense year after year after year, and they were churning out NFL linebackers. Uh, and they, they were just a good program. And, of course, Snyder had such a sterling reputation. Uh, it was a, it was a no brainer for me, especially between those those two other schools that I mentioned. K State was just head and shoulders uh, the best program. And, and uh, was the defensive coordinator when you were being recruited, Brett Bielema? Uh, no, actually, I was recruited at the time. It was um, oh gosh, uh, Phil Bennett. Oh yeah, he he went on to Baylor, and I think he had a short stint as SMU's head coach. Uh, I committed to Kansas State, and then it was shortly thereafter he left, and that's when Bilma came in. And uh, I got to say, Brett Bilma, he was a young guy at the time. I think he was only 27, 28 years old when he was coaching me my freshman year. He was an incredible defensive mind. And I don't think he gets enough credit for the 2003 season that we had or just enough credit as just being a world-class defensive coach because he is fantastic. Yeah, I was I was rewatching that, you know, watching the highlights of the game or, or you know, the no huddle every snap of the game and they showed on the sideline and I was like, "Wait, is that Brett Bielema? I mean, he looks so young and uh fit and uh <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I I associate him as an offensive line kind of guru cuz at Wisconsin and at Arkansas, he had these huge linemen all the time, but that defense, that Kansas State defense was, you know, really the reason that that you guys won this game and many many other games. Yeah, you know, so Bilma came from Iowa, which is where he played. So he had that Big Ten background, and then after he left K-State, he went to Wisconsin. And, and so, yeah, I guess now people lump him into the like the big offensive linemen, uh, kind of grind them out football teams. But he was an incredible defensive coach. And if, if uh, people don't remember, we lost, K-State lost three games in a row early on in that season where we were just playing like crap. And... Uh, I think we lost to Marshall, Colorado, and Texas. And we shouldn't have lost any of those games, much less all three of them. Uh, and it was Bilma who I remember had – we had a team meeting, and he just let loose and uh, just told us exactly how terrible we were and how bad we <laughs> sucked. And he, and he was not going to stand for it. And from that day forward, it was like we were a different team, and we had a complete evolution – as the season progressed. And so when it came down to the big 12 championship, that was a radically different team than that same team that had lost uh, three games in a row early in the season. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because yeah, looking at, at the schedule, it's like you guys lost to Marshall, which of course Marshall at the time was still a one, a team, not, you know, now they're not. So it wasn't as bad as if you lost to Marshall today, but still it was, it was, it was, still, it was terrible. Yeah. And, you know, 2002, we were such a talented team. We had two losses, uh, two losses that very well could have been wins. And so we had high expectations going into 2003. And I believe that Marshall game, L. Roberson was not our quarterback. I think maybe he was injured. But no excuses. We should have had our fifth-string quarterback and should have been able to win that game easily. We just played like crap, and, and we probably thought we were much better than them, which we were, but we you know, probably didn't put forth the effort that we should have. And and you know in college football that can result in a loss a lot of times yeah so what kind of what kind of playing time were you seeing this season it, it's so funny i 
when people ask me about my college playing career, I actually probably played more my red shirt freshman season mm. than I did my senior season. I think uh, Bilma had, had groomed me pretty well, and I was playing on all the special teams at this point as a freshman. And I, I started a game that season as well. Our, our starting strong sign linebacker, the guy in front of me, was out due to uh, injury. But I, I was playing a, a fair amount with, uh, you know, the high hopes of taking over that strong side spot once the guy in front of me left and hopefully be uh, in the NFL in years to come. And and as we all know now, that, that plan did not work out. <laughs> so... You know, what was the the mood going into this game? Because I think maybe people forget about these kind of things. They kind of think, oh, yeah, that Oklahoma team was pretty good. Um, if you watch just the intro of the game with Brett Musburger, uh, Brent Musburger bringing in, the, oh, and we have Oklahoma. It, this is like the greatest team of all time, essentially, the way they're being talked about. And you guys had lost to Marshall, but we're a very hot team. There's absolutely nobody in the world that believes that Kansas State's going to win this game. Was there a belief inside the locker room that you guys were going to win? Uh, I think there was certainly a belief, but yeah, all the talk leading into the game was that this OU team, this particular 2003 OU team, might possibly be the best college football team ever assembled. And they, they were just killing people that season. And they probably had a... Uh, that was probably a fair argument at the time to say yeah. this might be the best team ever. And, they, of course, they had the Heisman winner, uh, Jason White, at, at quarterback that time. Uh, but we were we were just hungry and scrappy, and, and we knew we were good. We had all the momentum going for us. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if you were to ask every man in our locker room, <laughs> do you truly believe you're going to beat Oklahoma? I don't know what the answer would be. I'm sure there might be a lot of no's if people were being honest, but – um, you know, we, we went out there and we just, we weren't intimidated and we kept playing the way that we had been playing the, the few weeks prior. And I think we went out there and punched Oklahoma in the face and caught them off guard. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to say that it felt, it, you know, Oklahoma came out and scored quickly. Uh, Kansas state didn't. Um, and it looked like, and even, even the announcers just, Oh, here we go. Oklahoma's going to run it up. It's already seven Oh and, and all, you know, and then Kansas State's defense started, like you're saying, punching them in the mouth. Is that is that very much down to the attitude that Bielema had instilled in the team of, you know, you got to get it together and, and nobody can't be intimidated, basically? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it is attitude. I think we had a lot of underrated players uh, on that defensive side of the ball for us. Uh, you know, Oklahoma was full of guys that went on and had great NFL careers, but we just had a lot of tough guys that were really good. You know, my, my brother-in-law is Andrew Scholl, and I think that year he was first-team All-Big 12 defensive end. Andrew was great, and we had a couple more, like our linebacker Brian Hickman and Josh Buell. I think Josh might have led the country in tackles. He was everywhere. Uh, but we were just hungry and scrappy and hard-nosed. And on top of that, on, on top of just having this attitude of we're not going to let them score, we had – Brett Bilma is our defensive coordinator, who I, I truly believe, like I said earlier, is just a brilliant defensive mind. And I think he came out there with the right defensive philosophy and schemes to slow down this OU offense, who was putting up uh, monster numbers all season. When did it feel like, you know, maybe that buzz on the sideline or... Um... I don't know. Maybe maybe nobody wanted to talk about it. Like you know, when a baseball when a pitcher has a no hitter going on or something. 
when did they kind of start feeling like, I think we got this, you know, I think, I think we could win this game, not necessarily that it was in the bag, but Hey, we can hang. And I, I think we could actually win this. When did that, that feeling start kind of going through everyone? Yeah. So as you mentioned, OU came out and scored a, a really quick touchdown. I think it was just like a little pass to the flats to the running back, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He just took off. <laughs> and, uh, you know, soon after that, I, I think it was probably, you know, you have this perception of OU, who is the quote-unquote best team ever to play college football, but then you get on the field with them, and you kind of feel yourself winning the battle physically, and, th- and that, that kind of sparks the realization that these guys aren't maybe what we thought they were. Like, these <laughs> these guys are people that we can beat and people that we can push around and, and have our way with, uh, but to answer your question directly, I think... I think Sproles had a few runs where he just refused to get tackled and, and resulted in like 20, 25 yard runs. And, and we started to move the ball on their defense. And it was right around that time, maybe after scoring our first touchdown where we thought, all right, this is, this is our game to lose now. What was, what was the message at halftime from Bielema and from Snyder? You know, was it, you know, keep, keep going or, you know, I, I don't know. I've always wondered it's easy to see what the message at halftime would be for the underdog that needs to make a comeback or whatever. But when you're the underdog and you're leading, you know, how do you maintain that? And what do the coaches say to a team like that? Well, coach Snyder and, and God bless coach Snyder for being the legend that he is. His message was always the same. Stay the course. And that, <laughs> that doesn't matter if you're up by 63 points or down by 63, it is stay the course. So I'm, I'm sure that was his message. Uh, if my memory serves me correctly, I think Vilma was probably uh, more concerned about defensive schemes and things that maybe it hurt us in the first half. How can we make those corrections to make sure they don't come back and hurt us in the second half? Uh, but I don't think anyone was overly excited. I don't think anyone was uh, nervous about OU coming back either. I think it was just, hey, what we're doing is working. Let's stay the course and, and walk out of here with a win. Yeah, that makes sense. It seems like it seems like maybe about the f- end of the third quarter, Kansas State just started becoming bullies. You know what I mean? Like it was this confidence that every tackle was really hard tackle. Every you know pass break. I mean, it just seemed like the confidence grew throughout the game to the point where suddenly OU had no confidence. I mean, the kicker OU's kicker had missed one field goal all season, and he misses two, including a twenty-eight yarder. Could you could you guys just feel that like confidence had been shattered pretty pretty um, imp- I don't know impressively or something like that I mean just you have yeah. this team that's so great and then suddenly they can't do anything right Yeah we we could feel that they were playing on their heels um, we could feel the energy in the stadium K State our fans travel so well and even though half the stadium was probably OU fans it, it felt like it was a full stadium of K State fans uh, just based on how loud they were. Um, I know a lot of people don't believe in the concept of momentum, but I, I certainly am a believer. We had the momentum. I think we, when you have the momentum on your side, you just play with a little extra oomph, um, which, as you mentioned, too, led to us kind of acting like bullies and, and just being super physical and coming downhill and smacking them in the mouth. And uh, I, I think if you do that enough, it's just really hard to come back from, which you know, OU wasn't able to score after that initial touchdown in the first quarter. Yeah, which was just, even though I knew the score, I was still amazed by that. You know, I was there were a couple times when when Jason White throws the interception in the end zone. Other times I'm like, well, Oklahoma's going to score right here, but I'm like, I know they're not going to. Um, just everything went went 
Kansas State's way. And this game being in Kansas City, I was going to ask you about that. The crowd, did it feel very, very K-State friendly? Um, uh, yeah, very, very much so. Um, you know, at the time, I think this is like a weird statistic to remember. I think at the time, we K-State had the record for most fans who have traveled out of state to watch a game. So hmm. we take a lot of pride in, in – uh, traveling for our our team and i know a lot of universities say that but k-state just takes it to the nth degree um and so yeah our k-state fans showed up and showed up in droves so yes it it very much was a k-state friendly um uh stadium that day and not to mention the ou fans had nothing to cheer about there in the second half and i'm sure a lot of them went to the parking lot to get in their car to go home so as they filtered out we only got louder and louder yeah for sure uh what was the what was the mood like i mean obviously the players are exuberant but does coach snyder can can he cut loose can he have a little fun after a win like that or is he still coach snyder in the locker room (laughs) He, he is still Coach Snyder, and I think when he goes home at night and he's by himself, he's Coach Snyder. That guy does not change, uh, but I think that's part of his greatness, you know. Stay stay the course and uh, and don't change. I guess that's, that's Coach Snyder. I guess that's how you can do it for, what, three, four decades, however long he did it, if you don't yeah, get too and, high or low. You know, and to his credit, we're Kansas State University in Manhattan, Kansas. We don't – we don't – recruit the same guys the same level of talent that ut recruits in austin or that ou recruits in norman like we're getting a lot of three-star guys like myself we're getting juco transfers but we're not getting the highly touted five-star guys and so that stay the course mentality that he always had the you know discipline first outwork the other team uh full pads during the season running sprints after practice during the season which these are things that other teams did not do i think that's how he was able to mold these three-star and juco transfers into these really good teams that every year were able to compete with you know the the five-star juggernauts that ou and texas and everyone else has right yeah you mentioned that so you mentioned that the tough practices the hardcore you know old school bill snyder mentality and what i think about is you know a guy like you who you thought you're going to school you're going to do all this put on on all this hard work so then you can become an nfl player and and obviously that's not what happened did you one ever think about you know what this is just not worth it and two what are the lessons that you've learned from your football career that you still you know use today um having gone through that you know those difficult practices and things like that yeah great question so the first part of your question, yes, I thought that thought is just not worth it all the time. But <laughs> it, was so, it was just so physically and even more so mentally hard uh, to do everything that they required of you. Um, and, and I think personally, I didn't have the maturity at 18 or 20 years old to handle it. Um, that's one of my life's biggest regrets. I wish I could go back in time and put forth the amount of effort that uh k-state deserved and that coach snyder was asking for i I think i probably went the lazy route of just doing enough to get by and so there's a very good reason my football career did not pan out the way i wanted it to in the beginning and that's simply because i didn't i didn't put forth the extra effort that i should have that make a lot of great players great because they're in there doing those things um and now I've lost track. What was the second part of that question? Uh, just the lessons that you learned from, you know, sticking it out and from playing football, because 
you know, obviously you didn't continue your career afterwards, but now, you know, you have a normal career, a normal life. What do you, how do you apply those lessons? Yeah. So, uh, one thing that sticks out immediately is time management, which I think drives my wife crazy, but (laughs) coach Schneider was famous for cat time. And what cat time means is if he says a meeting starts at eight o'clock, he will probably start that meeting at seven fifty-seven. So you better cat time is if the meeting starts at eight, you get in that chair at seven forty-five because that meeting's going to start before eight o'clock. And don't you dare walk into his meeting after he's already started it because he will throw you out, embarrass you in front of the whole team, and then make you run after practice for uh, interrupting his meeting. That still sticks in my head, and I still, to this day, at 36 years old, have nightmares about being late to one of Coach Schneider's meetings, and that's something I just cannot shake. If I have a meeting that's five minutes down the street from me, I will still show up 30 minutes early just because that is ingrained in me. (laughs) Time management, which goes hand-in-hand with his his philosophy, uh, philosophy of just discipline and doing things the right way so i've carried that with me and then you know coach schneider was always big on on doing the little things correctly um if one player i'll I'll give you an example if we're doing an offensive run through or a defensive run through if one player makes one tiny mistake so let's say an offensive lineman just takes one step one incorrect step in the wrong direction he'll make the entire offense run that play over again like he he will not settle for anything less than perfect, uh, which I, I think is genius and which I, I think a lot of coaches today don't do. Um, and I, I don't know exactly the reason why they don't run their teams this way, but uh, Snyder sure had a lot of success doing it that way. You know, you, you mentioned Coach Snyder would, would get real upset if you came into a meeting late or something. I, I, I think I have this picture of him as sort of a genteel old man. <laughs> Could he really, you know, could he really uh, get after somebody and really yell and and, and scream, or was he a bit more of a uh, stoic no, kind of coach? He he could he could get after you and yell. And, and the <laughs> weird part is when he when he yelled at you, it made more of an impact because he didn't yell often, and so when he did, it really catches you by surprise. And during practice. He was also famous for walking around with a little voice recorder and he would just kind of mumble into the voice recorder. So if you're standing next to him, you really can't even hear what he's saying. But what he was doing is he was just taking notes to himself so that after practice, he could listen to those notes and then he coached his coaches. And so primarily he would let his position coaches do the coaching. And then after practice, he would coach his coaches. And that's the way he operated unless you did something that really just pissed him off and and he would get all over you. But uh, you know, he is, he is all class. He's, he's just uh, a great example of what a coach should be, but, uh, that doesn't mean that he can't get all over your ass at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of what a coach should be, especially in football sometimes. So I know I said, I, I don't know anything about the bachelor and I'm not going to ask a bachelor question. However, did you hear from coach Bielema or coach Snyder or anyone when you showed up on, on the bachelor? Yeah, I heard from both, actually. I, uh, <laughs> I, I still talk to Coach Bielma, um, and I, I've really enjoyed following his career and all the success that he's had. And, and obviously, it hasn't all been success. He's had some bumps in the road at Arkansas, but uh, 
still keep in touch with him. He and his wife were watching The Bachelor every week, and he. I remember when I uh, so the way it works is I was on The Bachelor at first. I got kicked off, and then they asked me to come back and be The Bachelor. And after I got uh, kicked off of the Bachelorette, I remember he sent me a really heartfelt text, just saying, "Hey, it's going to be okay, man. You represented your family well, and and I love you." And you know, that's just that's that's most people probably wouldn't expect something like that from Coach Bielma, but that's just the type of guy he is. And um, Coach Snyder made a point of, of talking about it with me. I think the next time I went up to Manhattan for a football game, and I was able to sit down with him for a little bit. So, uh, yeah, got got plenty of. Uh, support from both those guys. Brett, Brett Bielema seems like a guy who was already watching The Bachelor and then just noticed you showing up on the, on the screen. <laughs> he, he probably was. That's that. He's a Coach Bill was an odd duck, and he's got all these little quirks that I, I love about him. But yeah, it would not surprise me if he was just watching The Bachelor anyway. <laughs> well, this this has been exciting hearing insight about Coach Bielema because I've always been curious about him. He seems like such a character and a uh, I really hope he can get back into head coaching in college football because we need more characters in the game. I do too. You know, um, I, I think he's he's probably liking this Cush NFL position he has right now, but he um, he is a great college coach, and I'm, I'm not sure Arkansas was the best fit for him. I, I would love to see uh, maybe him show back up in the Big 12. I, I think with his – defensive genius uh maybe he could help the big 12 get back on track and, and not be such a, a laughing stock in terms of, of defense these days yeah that's that's true do you uh get up to kansas state very often for uh games not as much as i would like to i went to stillwater last season to watch them uh crap the bed against osu unfortunately <laughs> but uh, i'm gonna you never know what's gonna uh, be of this season i don't know if we're going to have a season in 2020 but if we somehow do and can get past this covid mess i would love to make it up there this season mm-hmm. yeah do you uh do you know coach climate at all or have you spoken to him at all no I, I haven't spoken to him i've heard nothing but great things and i think he very much fits the mold of of the type of coach the k-state needs uh you know that previous experience of all the success he had in south dakota just kind of recruiting that type of player, not the big five-star guy, but probably the three-star guy. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about what the future holds. I think Coach Kleiman's going to be a, a good one. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely the key at Kansas State um, is, is to find those those diamonds in the rough, those hidden gems, because, yeah, I mean, it's tough. I, I remember I had a conversation with uh, Coach Switzer one time where he was talking about, he's like, how, do you, how could you ever recruit in Kansas? <laughs> How could you now, ever? Don't get me wrong. So Manhattan, Kansas, is like northeastern Kansas, and and there's not much around it. The town of Manhattan is awesome. I encourage everyone to go there. They have a great scene, uh, great college atmosphere, good bar scene. It's it's really a lot of fun. So if you haven't made a football visit to Manhattan, definitely encourage you to do that. Yeah, that's that's good to hear. I, I think that's one of the fun things about college football and college towns is you have these towns like Lubbock or I went to OU. So even Norman uh, or Manhattan where you, nobody would ever go to these places except for a college football game. And then they go and they're like, that's actually pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's electric. Everyone's wearing purple. Uh, it's, it's really, really cool. Of course I'm, I'm proud of it being a, a KSU guy, but uh, I, I think it's one of the best places. And I've, I've been to a lot of other college towns. I think it's one of the best places to catch a college football game. That's awesome. So I've been asking a lot of people this on on my on this podcast. 
Uh, I don't know if you have any special insight. Um, what's your record prediction for Kansas State this year? Oh, gosh. Uh, okay, so I'm just going off the top. I have not looked at our schedule. Um, <laughs> this, this is just a – I'm just going to throw this out there. How many, how many games do we have? Uh, I think it's 12? usually 12, yeah. Okay. Um, now, this is um, – I'm not being biased. I'm going to say 12-0, and 0, which eventually leads to a national championship. Okay. All right. Well, you're, you're right in line with pretty much what everyone else has said about their school. So <laughs> I'm looking for the first honest person. Um, haven't found one yet, though. This is, hey, that, that was honest and unbiased. Uh, we, had, we had a lot of big wins last year beat OU. We're building on it. I don't see anyone beating us this year, and we will be the best team in college football. History. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I uh, I didn't need you to bring up that you beat OU last year. I didn't need that, but you did anyway. I've already I've already watched you guys beat OU in the past, and then you brought up the recent past. And yeah, you guys, you know, you guys are one of those schools where we just have your number. Uh, it's, it's funny; it feels like Tech gives us a harder problem than OU does, but. Uh, Oh yeah, no. It's hopefully we can keep that streak going. Yeah, when I was in school, you guys beat us, and I think it was one of the like, one of the Gronkowski brothers caught a, a full like a, he was playing fullback, and he caught like yeah. a sixty-yard touchdown pass from you know. It's just it was <laughs> it was just obnoxious. Like, why are you throwing to the fullback? And then he's just ugh. That's it's t- that's typical K State for you. Yeah, it's no fun losing to K State because they they beat you up, and it's just. Uh, but we're, we're nice. We're nice guys. We're not going to rub it in your face. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, I appreciate you joining us, Sean. Yeah, thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Well, that was really fun. I, I didn't expect to get so into Brett Bielema talk, but I love Brett Bielema talk, and that was probably my favorite part of that whole conversation was just hearing more and more about Brett Bielema. He really does seem like the only college coach I can think of that was already watching The Bachelor and then saw a former player was like, that's Sean. I know that guy. And then had to be like, ah, I heard Sean was on The Bachelor, guys. Um, maybe we should watch it. But he was definitely already watching it with his wife. I, I love Brett Bielema. He is, he is the man. So I'm glad we got to talk about him. I, I'm also glad we got to talk about Bill Snyder because – very curious about what it's like playing for Bill Snyder. Um, I'm, I, I love that he would just take notes in a little voice recorder and then just go coach the coaches later. I mean, that's the type of insight you can only get from The Bachelor Season 17 star host contestant. I don't know what he was. I don't know how to say he was The Bachelor. Either way, I really enjoyed that conversation with Sean. I hope you did too. Kansas State would go on to play in the Fiesta Bowl, but they would lose by a touchdown to number seven, Ohio State. More significantly, Oklahoma went from being the best team in college football history. They got this huge upset. They were so good that they still made the national championship that year, but they lost to LSU. So, Think about this. They lost 35-7 to in the last week of the season, and they still made the national championship where they would lose by a touchdown to LSU. Of course, this was a highly controversial year because Oklahoma loses this game 35-7, to but they were so dominant that the BCS still kept them in the top two and put them in the national championship. LSU had one loss. That was to Florida, 19-7. to 
So they were put in the national championship by the BCS rankings, but the human polls both ranked USC number one. USC had one loss, a triple overtime loss to Cal. So USC does not make the national championship game. They think they should. LSU wins by a touchdown. And then at the end of the season, after USC wins the Rose Bowl over number four, Michigan, the AP poll voted USC as the national champion. So USC claimed a national championship, even though it wasn't the BCS national championship. This was highly controversial. Everyone remembers this game. It was a year where a college football playoff would have been um, very needed, very, very needed when you had three teams like this that could easily have claimed uh, to be the number one team. And you had essentially two number ones at the end of the year. This was what the BCS was designed not to have, not to create, but it did in fact happen this um, this year. And, you know, a lot of that is the result of OU kind of losing their swagger when they lost this game. They never regained it. Also, I'll never forget this year in the rankings, and I'll never forget when I got my first cell phone because, and this is a totally pointless story, but my parents got me and my brother a cell phone for Christmas that year, and we had to, um, fill out like a little uh, trivia game and they did we didn't know what the trivia game was for and the numbers were you know e- each answer was one number so the first answer was nine and then it keeps going oh and it's like oh it looks like we're filling out phone numbers something like that and the last question so my brother and i our phone numbers are the exact same except the last number so my last question was what is usc's bcs ranking and i said three and Charlie, my brother, says, well, mine says LSU. And I was like, no, no, mine says USC because we thought we were filling out the same thing. And so he's like, oh, so why is mine too? And then we realized that it was a phone number. And that was a pointless story. But I just thought of it and I thought you guys would appreciate it. So this was more than just a big upset by Kansas State and and a Big 12 title by Kansas State. Uh, it was also, you know, kind of cost the Big 12 a national championship maybe. Uh, and it, it really... Uh, put a huge, huge chink in the armor of Oklahoma. And Oklahoma, again, has, has never won a national championship game since then. They, they had obviously won one a few years prior, but they don't have one since. We're now going on, I guess that's 20 years since the national championship for Oklahoma, which is pretty shocking to think about. So thanks again to Sean. Thanks again to Revtown Jeans. And thanks again to you, the listener. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud or Spotify. Give it a rating. Let me know how I'm doing. Follow me on Twitter at Scott Bedgood or at Big 12 Bullets. And also make sure to watch the Key Play Breakdown video where I show you the Jason White interception and subscribe to the newsletter. There's a lot of things I just told you to do, but the number one thing you should do is subscribe to the podcast. So do that, and I'll talk to you next week. We have two weeks left in the Big 12 Bullets Game of the Week series, and we will close out our three-week stretch of OU losses next week when we go to Iowa State. And we'll talk to a player who did it all that game. This is the Bed Goods Big 12 Bullets Game of the Week presented by RevTown. Oh, yeah,